Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Nice to have you with us today. If you're tuning in, you can watch this program because we Zoom it and uh, at least the health and nutrition because when I go to open calls, at least at this point, I have to go just audio, not video. But you can go to prn.live, scroll down to archives, scroll down to Gary Knoll, and that's where you'll see all of our videos. In any case, our first study comes from Dongyi People's Hospital in China. It's an important study because it tells you how you can help if you have COPD, a major problem, and a killing disease. And they're suggesting that higher dietary niacin, a member of the B-complex, the trouble is most Americans don't have a B-complex. If they did, we wouldn't have a nation beset with high blood pressure and all forms of coronary heart disease. Why is that? Because there are certain nutrients that are known to lower inflammatory markers for homocysteine and C-reactive protein. When those two are elevated, you're at a greater risk of a heart attack or stroke. And they're silent killers. You won't know that you're elevated in them. That's why having a maybe twice a year full blood chemistry done and have all your inflammatory markers because wherever you have inflammation, you've got trouble in the body. And if it's inflammation in the brain, well, you're looking at all forms of brain disorders that can come from that, including dementia and, uh, and Parkinson's disease. If you have inflammation in your joints, then arthritis. Inflammation in the heart, that's really bad. So by taking a B-complex, 50 milligrams a day, and if you want to take 25 milligram B-complex in the morning and one in the evening, that's fine. But you want to make sure that you get the full-spectrum B-complex, quality product. Now, in that B-complex, vitamin B12 uh, is important, but so too is vitamin B1, 2, and 6, and folate, folic acid. It's been shown that folic acid brings down your homocysteine level, but all together, along with vitamin C, you can bring your elevated homocysteine, which puts you at risk of a heart attack, down into the normal range, one, two, three, or four. Recently, I was counseling someone who didn't know it until they had a blood workup, and they hadn't had a blood workup in 20 years, and all of their inflammatory markers were really up high. They didn't know that their fasting blood sugar was over 200. They're diabetic. They didn't know it. They didn't know that their uh, blood pressure was as high as it was. Again, a silent killer. So this person who was normal weight, but was ate a lot of junk food and uh, didn't take supplements, now is on a healthier diet and will help correct all those imbalances, as can you. But if you know someone who has COPD and they have trouble breathing and, well, and it can lead to death, frequently does, make sure that they're getting niacin into the diet every day. And this article was published in Scientific Reports. All right, just, it's also called vitamin B3, for those who understand nutritional biochemistry. Now, from the University of Glasgow in Scotland, they found an interesting uh, bit of research. People in Europe used to eat seaweed on a daily basis for thousands of years. And then it kind of disappeared. Well, today in the American diet, you don't have seaweed. I mean, most Americans will never eat seaweed in any form their whole life, unless they eat in a Japanese or Chinese restaurant and have a miso soup. But in your gourmet vegan restaurant, there's almost always seaweed salads. Why should you eat seaweed? Because it's rich in sea minerals, including iodine, which is extremely beneficial for your thyroid gland. And a lot of people, especially women, once they hit perimenopause, and that could get, by the way, perimenopause can last years, where you start to have symptoms, uh, irregular periods and uh, mood swings. Uh, you start to gain weight, though you're not overeating. Uh, and skin starts to thin out. You start to see little bruises on your hands. Your eyebrows begin to thin out. In any case, Perimenopause and menopause uh, should be treated the same way. 
go on a healthy plant-based diet. Make sure that you have a vitamin profile done. These are not expensive. For about 150 bucks, you can get a full hormone program, an anti-aging program that you take a blood sample and they'll tell you what you're deficient in. And therefore, you can build it up. Most people are deficient in iodine. As a result, they start to have an underactive thyroid. And an underactive thyroid causes you all kinds of problems. Fatigue, um, can't sleep at night, all types, lack of energy. So make sure you're getting at least once a week seaweed into the diet, maybe in a soup to make it easy or in a cold salad. Anyhow, there, there's, there was a time when they had this because they, you know, they, they took it out of the ocean and dried it and used it. We don't do that, and we should. We should be eating more of uh, seaweed products in our diet. Now, an all, alternate day modified fasting, meaning you eat a, your full meal one day, and you only eat less than about half the next day, but you still maintain your caloric intake and your nutrient intake. What that does is, is called alternate day modified fasting, and it improves premenstrual syndrome and health-related quality of life, especially if you're overweight. Okay? This was from Kashan University of Medical Sciences. Now, we know that PMS is a condition that affects health-related quality of life and encompasses a variety of symptoms, including psychological, physical, behavioral symptoms, where a person just feels out of sorts. Now, thank goodness, not everyone suffers from that, but if you do, it can be really debilitating. And uh, sometimes there are cramps, but there are ways we can deal with this, like vitamin B6 at 100 milligrams, and evening primrose oil taken about a day before the cramps start can help alleviate those. A B-complex at 100 milligrams can do the same. So there's a lot of evidence that suggests that an increase in your body mass index BMI, that's your body fat, can reduce both the HR, uh, HRQ and menstrual quality. So this is because the body fat tissue can affect menstrual cycles by changing the estrogen-progesterone ratio. And uh, this study investigated the impact of two diets, alternate day modified fasting and daily caloric restriction on PMS syndrome. And the study was a randomized, controlled, open-label trial that lasted for eight weeks and involved a group of obese and overweight women. And the study compared the impact of the alternate-day modified fasting and the daily caloric restriction, which means you simply have less calories in a day. Significant improvements were observed in mood, uh, the mood, what is called lability and expressed anger in relationship to PMS symptoms. Uh, the, the diet um, had a significant impact on a 12-item short-form health survey. And the total score and physical function really improved. So here's how you do it. When you're leading up to your menstrual cycle, and when you're getting your menstrual cycle, try to have healthy food. Stay off the meat. The animal proteins are very high in estrogen, and estrogen can imbalance your hormones even further during your PMS cycle. So if you go to a plant-based proteins, like your nuts and seeds and legumes and pulses and whole grains, lentils, for example, then you're doing yourself a favor. You're getting good fats into the diet. The omega-3 fatty acids, very important and raw organic virgin coconut oil, teaspoon a day, the B-complex at 50 milligrams a day to 100 milligrams a day. That will make a big difference. And uh, that's better than just restricting calories because what happens is if, what if your diet is primarily bad calories, empty calories, you know, french fries, pizzas, hamburgers, hot dogs, bread, pretzels, potato chips, snack foods, sugary foods, all of that causes problems with PMS. Go on a clean, healthy diet and have probiotics for those few days during your beginning of your cycle. 
if you have problems. And it helps. So, modified fasting can improve quality of life, mood, and a lot of other issues. And next comes a higher intake of vitamin K1. Now, most people don't know what K1 is or where they get it. Kale is a good source. Your green vegetables are a good source. But according to Edith Cowan University in Australia, the higher intake of vitamin K1 is associated with a lower mortality risk during a 15-year follow-up. Wow. And this was published in the Peer Review Journal Nutrition, Metabolism, and Cardiovascular Disease. And it uncovered an association between greater intake of K1 and reduced risk of death from cardiovascular disease or all causes during the following 15 years, especially in women. Now, vitamin K1 is a form of vitamin K that occurs in cruciferous vegetables. So if you really want to do yourself a favor and help prevent cancers, even if you don't know that they're occurring, remember, before cancer can occur, it takes years, sometimes decades, for this to be uh, generating a genesis in your body. And so by the time you can finally photograph you know, on an x-ray and say, ah, oh, I've got a cancer cell there, they'll say, good, we got it early. No, you got it 20 years late. But by taking vitamin K1, which occurs strongly in broccoli and cauliflower and kale, arugula, watercress, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, a mustard, mustard seed, and other leafy vegetables, you're really helping your body. I make sure that every day in my smoothie, I have one scoop of a cruciferous powder because then I couldn't eat all those in a day. Onions and garlic are also in there. And so we need to really keep our body strong. And I always take vitamin K1 in the same time I take my vitamin D3. They're synergistic. So there were about 1,400 Australian women. Average age was 75. And uh, they were in this enrolled of a health program about vitamin K1. Compared with women whose intake of K1 was among the lowest, 25% of those in the study, at a medium of 49.1 micrograms. Doesn't take much, not even a milligram, micrograms. Those whose intake was among the highest 25% were at a one, um, one microgram per day. They had a 39% lower risk of dying, dying from cardiovascular disease and a 34% risk reduction in all causes of death. The reduction in risk plateaued at intakes at about 80 micrograms per day or more. So take your B12, or excuse me, take your vitamin D3 and your K1 at the same time. And finally, from the University of Rovera in Italy, a diet high in fish, whole grain cereals, the omega-3 fatty acids, and folic acid reduces the probability of miscarriages by up to 15%. Now, this is the common Mediterranean diet. It's a heart-healthy diet, and it's associated with lower risk of pregnancy loss also. And this is the main conclusion of a study led by researchers at the university, which studied the effects of different healthy diets on gestational health of women who had been undergoing infertility treatments. So if you are considering pregnancy, make sure you're getting your omega-3 fatty acids, only whole grains, about, I would say, 3,000 milligrams a day of the omega-3 fatty acids, and folic acid, 500 micrograms a day, and that'll make a difference. That's the latest on health and healing. All this information comes from the National Library of Medicine. It's all peer-reviewed, and... Uh, we spend a lot of time every day, generally late at night or early in the morning, reading hundreds of articles to find those that can make a difference on a broad spectrum of people. Because remember, this program is heard and seen around the world. And one of the things you can do is you can, well, you can share the information. 
you know, share it, send it out to other people. All right? And you can go to Gary and all YouTube. I have thousands of uh, video and audio clips on there, including my classrooms on the air. And I've got a lot of them up there. And they're all free. So take advantage of it. All right? Go to GaryandAll.com. Oh, and by the way, um, I did what I call a Valentine garden. One of my hobbies that I do to relax is, because I I live alone here in this uh, beautiful environment down in southwest Florida in an animal sanctuary. I take care of animals, rescue them, get them back to health, get them to trust people if they've been abused, and then find them a loving home for life. And uh, that takes up a big part of my day. But also, I love to garden. So from nothing, just just sand, that's it. I, I build things and uh, get my hands in the soil. I look at an empty space. And three weeks ago, I looked at an empty space. And I thought, well, there would be a nice place to build something. And I did it with the idea about someone seeing the photographs of it before and after and thinking, well, I could do that in my backyard. And if you could make yourself a wonderful meditation garden, maybe with a little koi pond or just a little waterfall going into a pond so the water, you sit there, close your eyes, and it just takes you to a fed place of relaxation, very easy to meditate. And flowers, perennials, and even flowers that are aromatic, lavender, lilac, honeysuckle, jasmine, uh, chrysanthemum. And then you're, in the, especially in the uh, early evening and throughout the night and the early morning, all that aroma is there, and that's very good for you also. So it only took me three weeks to build everything you see. Every plant you see, every tree, every shrub, bush, uh, I planted. You could do the same. If you do it yourself, it's not expensive. And But at least you have a place that's your quiet place, your place to go and relax, think through life issues, and meditate what you want to do next. So if you go to GaryAndAll.com and look under Photo Gallery, and then that'll be the first photographs that pop up. There are other things in there, because I like to show people how to do stuff with their hands. So that's the latest thing. It's So make your think about building your own Valentine garden. It, it's, just, it's just all the wonderful colors, and uh, just to sit there. It's not difficult, and it's not expensive. All right? We're going to take a break and be right back. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. We're going to play a couple clips, and one is very important. And yet the average person probably knows nothing about Boris Johnson, former prime minister of Great Britain. Here's why I'm playing you this clip. Because Boris Johnson was the one who stopped the treaty from going through and a ceasefire from going through and a withdrawal of Russian troops from going through after about a week or two after the invasion originally started. Why would he do that? On whose behalf was he making these gestures? It was the United States. So Russia had come to an agreement with Ukraine. They were signing agreements, ceasefire, stop this, and then talk through our differences. That was way back at the very beginning. Think of all the hundreds of thousands, almost a half a million Ukrainian soldiers who would be alive today. Think of all the hundreds of billions of dollars that have been wasted by other countries and the United States on this war. Think of all the infrastructure damage. All that could have been prevented. So who is this man? And here's what we don't do in the United States. We don't give you an honest background on the people who lead us, the policymakers. If you knew all about Dick Cheney and George Bush Sr., um, and the, for example, going clear back to the Dulles brothers, one was Secretary of State, the other was head of the CIA, and all the other powerful people whose actions, whose beliefs caused history to change for the worse, would we have accepted them? The answer is no. And yet because we don't know about their backgrounds, we don't know how they grew up, what their, what their temperament was, 
whether they were ethical or unethical, then we just take whatever the public relations about a person is, is, is if it's true. Look, I knew long before the rest of the American public about the Clintons. In fact, many of you remember, I did a whole series on the Clintons with video clips. Everyone from state troopers to prosecutors uh, to people that work with the Clintons had gone on record when he was still attorney general and then governor of Arkansas. So everyone knew. In fact, interesting enough, when I was invited to a fundraiser for the Clintons by one of New York City's most powerful political couples, and I said, one of them is a close friend of mine, and I said, why are you doing this for the Clintons? And this is at the party where all these people were, and th these are people I didn't know, uh, but they all owned companies, they were all they were all heavy into the business world. And my friend turned to me and says, look, Gary, everyone here knows who the Clintons are, what kind of character they have. But they also know that if they give money to the Clinton campaign, if Clinton gets elected, they're going to get a thousand to one back. Meaning for every dollar they donate, they can get a thousand back. Non-competing non, uh, non contracts, exclusive arrangements. That's why they're here. That's why all of this happens. Doesn't matter who's running for office. You know, who puts money in your pocket is the person you're going to do a favor for. That's politics. Okay, that's politics. I just left. I couldn't stand being there. So the more we know about the people in power in any field, the better we can assess whether or not that's someone we want to trust or not trust, believe or not believe. So I'm going to give you a real primer now on everything about Boris Johnson. And once you know everything from his background, would there be any reason you would ever trust this person with anything, let alone becoming the most powerful person in Great Britain's government, and therefore going out and doing the bidding of the deep state in America to keep us in this war, a proxy war, where we don't suffer, but the people of Ukraine and Russia do. Now to the clip. The life and lies of Boris Johnson, from the day he was born to the day he became Prime Minister. June 1964. Alexander Boris de Feffel Johnson is born in New York. His earliest recorded ambition is to become World King. 1982. In a letter to Johnson's father, an Eton schoolteacher writes of the 17-year-old Boris Johnson, He sometimes seems affronted when criticised for what amounts to a gross failure of responsibility and surprised at the same time that he was not appointed captain of the school for the next half. I think he honestly believes that it is churlish of us not to regard him as an exception, one who should be free of the network of obligation that binds everyone else. 1983, Johnson becomes a leading member of Oxford University's male-only Bullingdon Club. During his tenure, the club's members indulge in sexist taunting, vandalism, restaurant trashing, bullying and ritual humiliation of the poor. One recruiter for the club will later describe it during Johnson's time, saying Bullingdon members found it amusing if people were intimidated or frightened by their behaviour. I remember them walking down a street in Oxford in their tails, chanting Buller, Buller, and smashing bottles along the way just to cow people. Boris was one of the big beasts of the club. He was up for anything. They treated certain types of people with absolute disdain and referred to them as plebs. 1984. Sixth former Damien Furness visits Johnson's Oxford College for his entrance interview. Many years later, he will relate what happened. I was staying the night and had an evening to kill in the college bar. Johnson was propping it up with his coterie of acolytes, whose only apparent role in life was to laugh at his jokes. In the course of my pint, I felt obliged to finish. He mocked my speech impediment, my accent, my school, my dress sense, my haircut, my background, my father's work as a farm worker and garage proprietor, and my prospects in the scholarship interview I was there for. His only motivation was to amuse his posh boy mates. 1987. At the age of 23, Johnson marries the daughter of a millionaire art historian. Fresh out of university and aided by family connections, he lands a traineeship at the Times newspaper. 1988. Johnson is sacked as a trainee at the Times for making up a quote on his first front-page story. 1990. Johnson conspires with his Bullingdon Club friend Darius Guppy to have a fellow journalist assaulted. The two discuss in detail how badly assaulted the man will be, including cracked ribs and black eyes, before Johnson agrees to supply the journalist's address for the attack to be carried out. Boris, have you got this number? Uh, how badly are you 
Okay, let me explain this to you. We'll not be put into intensive care or anything like that. Okay, Jerry, I thought I'll do it. I'll do it. Don't worry. The conspiracy goes nowhere and no attack happens. 1991. According to a friend of Johnson's wife, an incident occurs in which Johnson displays his frightening temper, after which his wife turns up at the friend's flat in Brussels, looking shocked, scared and on the brink of tears. The marriage soon deteriorates as Johnson begins an affair with a barrister. 1993. Johnson gets his barrister girlfriend pregnant and is soon divorced for the first time. 1994. He is now a columnist for The Telegraph and The Spectator magazine. His columns include racially charged invectives such as slamming Nelson Mandela for the, quote, tyranny of black majority rule in post-apartheid South Africa and describing Chinese workers as, quote, puffing coolies. 1995. He describes the children of single mothers as, quote, ill-raised, ignorant, aggressive and illegitimate saying it is, quote, outrageous that married couples should pay for the single mother's desire to procreate independently of men. In the same piece, he dismisses working-class men as, quote, likely to be drunk, criminal, aimless, feckless and hopeless. 1998, delighting in the resignation of gay cabinet minister Peter Mandelson for accepting an undisclosed loan from a friend, Johnson describes the gay community as, quote, tank-topped bumboys. 1999, Johnson is made editor of The Spectator magazine, promising owner Conrad Black he will not stand to be an MP. 2000, Johnson begins a relationship with one of his employees. He promises her that he will leave his wife to marry her. He does not leave his wife. 2001, breaking his promise to the owner of The Spectator, Johnson stands to be an MP. He now promises voters in Henley that if they vote for him, he will step down as editor of The Spectator. That June, he becomes MP for Henley... He does not step down as editor of The Spectator. In a book he writes during the election campaign, Johnson compares equal marriage to a union between three men and a dog. 2002, writing in The Spectator, Johnson defends British colonialism in Africa, saying, The problem is not that we were once in charge, but that we are not in charge anymore. Left to their own devices, the natives would rely on nothing but the instant carbohydrate gratification of the plantain. Meanwhile, in The Telegraph, he describes black Africans as, quote, flag-waving pickaninnies with watermelon smiles. 2003, Johnson is made vice-chair of the Conservative Party and shadow arts minister. 2004, rumours circulate that Johnson has got one of his employees pregnant, resulting in her having an abortion. Johnson slams the suggestion as, quote, complete boulder dash and an inverted pyramid of piffle and assures Conservative Party leader Michael Howard that the claim is untrue. In reality, the rumours are entirely true. Johnson is sacked from his position as Tory vice-chair and shadow minister for lying to the party leader. 2005, Johnson steps down as editor of The Spectator. Advising his successor on how to deal with a senior female colleague, he says, just pat her on the bottom and send her on her way. 2008, Johnson becomes mayor of London. 2009, he fathers a child with an unpaid advisor to City Hall. 2013, the Court of Appeal throws out an injunction that has until now prevented Johnson being named as the father of the child. Three judges rule that the public has a right to know about Johnson's, quote, reckless behaviour. By now, Johnson is having an affair with an American technology entrepreneur. Her company will receive £26,000 of public money while Johnson is mayor. She will later receive a £100,000 government grant intended for UK operating businesses, even after relocating to California the previous year. 2014. Johnson denies at least 17 times that he will stand as an MP while still in post as Mayor of London. 2015. Johnson stands as an MP while still in post as Mayor of London. 2016. Hedging his bets, Johnson drafts two Brexit articles, one pro-leave and the other pro-remain. In his pro-remain article, Johnson says the UK should remain, quote, intimately engaged in the EU and that Brexit could cause an economic shock, the diminishing of Britain on the world stage, and the breakup of the union. Two days later, Johnson announces he will be campaigning for vote leave. On June 23rd, Britain votes to leave the EU. Prime Minister David Cameron resigns. Johnson is the leading figure to replace him, but his leadership campaign soon implodes when his own campaign manager, Michael Gove, says that Johnson is, quote, not capable of leading the country. Instead, Cameron is succeeded by Theresa May. She makes Johnson Foreign Secretary. 2017, Johnson fails to impress in the role, making a series of dangerous gaffes. Most notably, he significantly undermines the legal case of Nazanin Zaghari Radcliffe, a British Iranian held in Iran on charges of espionage. It will be a further five years before she is finally released. 2018, Johnson resigns as Foreign Secretary and returns to his £250,000 a year job as a columnist for the Daily Telegraph. 
He's soon using his column to label women who wear burqas as, quote, letterboxes. His brother Leo, who's married to a Muslim, slams Johnson for his, quote, bigotry. In the week following his outburst, Islamophobic incidents increase across the UK by almost 400%. Almost half of all reported in-person abuse directly references Boris Johnson or the language he used. Johnson is now having an affair with Carrie Simmons, a former communications director for the Conservative Party. Johnson and his wife will soon separate. 2019, police are called to Simmons' South London flat after reports of a serious altercation. Neighbours report hearing a woman screaming, followed by slamming and banging. Simmons is reportedly heard screaming at Johnson to, quote, get off me and get out of my flat. Simmons will soon be expecting a baby. It is the fifth time as a married man that Johnson has made another woman, who isn't his wife, pregnant. On the 19th of July, following an internal Conservative Party coup against Theresa May, Johnson fulfills his lifetime ambition and becomes Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Everything in this film was known before the Tory party made him Prime Minister. His tenure has been an administrative and a moral failure. The question now is, what will Conservative MPs do about it? I'd like your thoughts, please. Give us a call at 888-874-4888. Now, here's a question for you. What is the likelihood if you keep promising things to people that you never deliver? In fact, you do just the opposite. People who are having a hard time making ends meet. People who are deep in debt. People who are so desperate, some are committing suicide, others are taking drugs. People don't see hope. And without hope, your whole body's biochemistry begins to prematurely age. And yet, they just keep promising and not delivering. And then they lie about it. And then when they're brought before a committee, Nobody tells the truth, except those who are grilling him and saying, you made these promises, you did this. So I'm trying to show you this, but this is an interesting clip. This is from Redacted, from the Morrises, and what they're doing is they're saying that the Democrats, the corporate Democrats, uh, they they are not honoring their pledges over the last many decades to blacks and Hispanics. As a result, many of those are fleeing the Democratic Party. Maybe they're going over to Robert Kennedy in spite of his position on Israel. Well, let's hear from one of those people. Then see whether you agree or disagree in part or whole of what he has to say. But this is this is the silent majority finding their voice. All right, let's go to the clip. Well, the Democratic Party is losing black and Hispanic voters that they love to pay lip service to. You thought I was going to say they love them. They don't. I'm going to prove that to you. But they love to say that they do. This is from a recent Gallup survey that showed that the party has lost voters in both groups and young people, too. The numbers are kind of shocking. Now, to be clear, they still have more voters in those groups than Republicans, but their hold on it is slipping. Now, two things I want to warn you before we look at these numbers. Number one, there's a lot of curse words in this segment. Some I might say, but some are also in the video clips I'm going to show you, so you've been warned. Also, I just want to say that I'm going to spend a lot of time telling you why I think Democrats are elitist jerks, but that does not mean that I think Republicans are the answer. So me telling you that I reject Democrats is not an endorsement of anything. I realize it's hard to think outside that binary, but I'm going to ask you to. Now, here's a video that went viral recently of someone named Kyle on TikTok who seemed to tap into exactly why Democrats are bleeding viewers. I warn you, he's going to say the F word. Here we go. Take it away, Kyle. Hi, my name is Kyle. I have been a registered Democrat for the last 22 years. I have voted in every election up and down from the state to local level that I could vote in. I campaigned for John Kerry and Barack Obama. This message is for the Democrats. I hate you. I hate the fact that you've bamboozled us for so many years touting progressive policies and giving us nothing. I hate the fact that there are so many broken campaign promises. I hate the fact that you've weaponized our rights to scare us into voting for you. I hate the fact that you failed on protecting reproductive rights. I hate the fact that you support economic policies that actually produce the conditions that make fascism viable and you don't admit that. 
I hate the fact that you're classist and not actually egalitarian. I hate the fact that you don't support Medicare for all, housing for all, affordable to free secondary education. I hate the fact that you tout small incremental changes to the fabric of our society as a resounding success when people are still economically struggling and hungry. I hate the fact that you won't call a genocide a genocide. I hate you for supporting policies that produce more bombs and not food. I hate you for supporting the status quo and not for doing the right things to make everyone's life better. I hate the fact that you're not mature enough to receive criticism. And I hate the fact that you criticize the rest of us for being idealistic and wanting better for everyone. And I hate you for blaming your failings on procedural precedent, a majority of which is nothing more than rules that are holdovers from the Reconstruction era and Jim Crow. I hate you. And you lost my vote, and you lost many people's vote, and that's your fault. Now, mind you, you could do the same thing with Republicans. The promises they've made, and then what they've actually delivered. Talking about peace, remember when, when uh, George Bush Sr. said we have to, we have to uh, go into... Uh, Panama, we have to go into these other tiny little countries because they represent a, a direct threat, national security threat to America. No, they did not. They did not. They lied. But then it's forgotten and the same people in power keep going forward. Weapons of mass destruction, that was a big lie. Yeah. Who was held accountable in the media? No one in government. No one, the Defense Department, the CIA. No one. So if there is never a downside to doing the wrong thing, then why should you change? So that's why a lot of people are finally seeing how bad everything is that they're changing allegiances. Your thoughts, please. 888-874-4888. We're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Your opportunity to share your points of view. We'd like to hear from you. And by the way, on tomorrow's program, I'm going to start giving the latest on health and nutrition, some important environmental information updates, and then we'll open it up. Once you start to call, then I'll shift from my normal programming schedule into addressing your personal issues. That's on tomorrow's program. Also, I want to thank all the people out there who take the time. I don't know all of you. I, I wish I did. Because some of you are just remarkable human beings. And I mean that. I don't say things in a flippant manner nor patronizingly. But when I see that people are sharing articles, books, videos, are sending out letters to demonstrate against a particular law coming up in a state, and they send me copies of it, and I think, well, that's very well done. But something that will help everyone in what we do every single day. When I talk about we, there's just two of us. That's it. There's my producer, Richard Gale, who tries to line up the best guests in the world. For example, I'm going to take on the issue of the legitimacy of the FBI and the CIA. Because if you hear some of the neocons in Congress, both right and left, and most of them are neocons. They support war. You would think that these are admirable agencies, and yes, once in a great while you'll get a you'll get a, a person who's in there shouldn't be there. But they're wrong. Now maybe they're innocently wrong. Maybe they just choose not to do their own homework or trust what other people have to say. The entire agencies are corrupt, top to bottom. The entire CIA is corrupt top to bottom, and no one is ever held accountable until possibly now. So when I see people saying, Gary, could you do a show to show us the truth about the CIA and the FBI? Do we really need them? Do we need these huge bureaucracies? They just keep growing. Every single year, nobody ever questions how big the budget is. Do you know what the Defense Department above and below line budget is? 1.5 trillion, not the 850 plus billion they tell you. That's only part of it. And how much of that money can they account for? Donald Rumsfeld couldn't even account for trillions of dollars. We couldn't account for the money that went to Iraq, Afghanistan, and now uh, 
Now we can't account for the money that's going to Israel or into Ukraine. That's our money. So what if you don't want war? What if you want ambassadors of peace? People who have a long history know their history. That's why I played the Boris Johnson piece. Once you know a history and you know that the Bush family is terminally corrupt, except for one son. He's a very decent fellow, but you don't hear about him. <clears throat> I happen to know him. <clears throat> then you have to ask this question. Why would they invade um, a tiny little country that does not represent a threat to the United States, Panama, or even go into a smaller country? Do you know which country I'm talking about where they had like 129 Cubans there and that was enough to represent uh, going into the country? Let's see if you can call in and tell me which country did we invade, spend millions of dollars, killed a lot of people for nothing. Nothing. No reason to have done it. Represented a threat to no one. And yet they controlled the media, and that was Bush Sr. and the people surrounding him. And it was also the same Bush Sr. who caused the progenitor, the initiation of everything we're seeing today in Ukraine. Because he told Gorbachev, if you dissolve the Soviet Union, we will not go, quote, one inch east, meaning towards Russia, with NATO. And Gorbachev trusted them, and they did just the opposite. They pushed everything they can, and they're still doing that. And that's why we have the conflict we have. But as long as you don't know the true history of something, and who was responsible, you would vote for him again. You voted for Clinton twice. Now think of it this way. You can like a person. They can be very personable. He shows up with his dark sunglasses and his dark suit, plays a saxophone. That's cool. But then how about credible allegations of what he did and was researched and found to be accurate? Not a single charge against him. Wow. Why is it the FBI has all these thousands of photographs and videos of famous people having sex with minors and that's never been released nor any of them ever charged? Not one. Doesn't that tell you something? It does, if you want to know the truth. Well, right now we're about to see the truth. I'll give you an example of that. Because right now, everything is about to hit the fan. Why? We can thank Matt Taibbi, and his colleagues are writing an article, and this is from uh, Charles from uh, News Cressif. Uh, quote, political espionage campaign targeted Trump, Russian collusion tale, a weapons mass destruction style story, journalist says. I'll just read the paragraph. I mentioned this yesterday on the program before the story really broke nationwide. A journalist, um, a journalist known best for publishing the Twitter files and his work chronicling the Occupy Wall Street protest claimed in a new Substack report he was privy to evidence of an Obama-era, quote, political espionage campaign, not unlike the one its a purported target Donald Trump long suspected. Matt Taibbi, who published the report, with fellow uh, Twitter files journalist Michael Schellenberger and reporter Alex Guttentag further told the news the narrative of Trump-Russia collusion had the same hallmarks of the Bush-era Iraq weapons of mass destruction claim. So then they go into what they found. Now here's, here's the sum of it. I'm not going to go into all of it. Obama and his team decided before the election in 2016, we have to destroy his reputation, control the vote, rig the election, in effect. And that's exactly what they did. They then, uh, they took CIA Director James Brennan and asked English-speaking U.S. allies to target the Trump campaign of 2016 and that foreign intelligence services were offered at least 26 Trump world figures who could be, quote, bumped, end quote, 
or encountered by intelligence assets. So that means then that the people who were attacked, like General Flynn, who hadn't even started work, but was trapped by the FBI in a sting, and uh, they managed to indict these people, something that had never been done before, before president even takes office. They've already started attacking and trying to destroy the reputation, and then pinning it all upon the fact that Trump was working in collusion with Russia. Now, here's what we have to understand. Some will accept this, some will reject it. That from then till now, there has been an attack against Trump. And as everyone knows, I don't like Trump. But that's beside the point. I, I don't like some of the people I've written positive articles on. One is Lawrence Burton. I couldn't stand the man. Well, that's a separate story. Uh, but yet he cured patience. And therefore, I set my own personal feelings about him and his shortcomings aside to promote the fact that he could cure cancer. And that ended up in an article, cover story, and that ended up on 60 Minutes, one of the most popular pieces. I don't happen to like Stanislaw Brzezinski, but that led to a major article and two Emmys on, um, on ABC all right, uh, on 2020. So the fact that I don't like someone doesn't mean that they don't have something that I could support. In Trump's cases, I don't support anything. But what I dislike even more than Trump is I dislike a coup by the same people that have been in control of the deep state with no obligation to the truth, are dishonest about everything, have no accountability, no oversight, no one looks in and says, what are you doing? And to show you how corrupt the system is, there's both a Senate and a House Intelligence Oversight Committees. Now, these are large committees, and they're supposed to be briefed on everything that the deep state's doing. When was the last time you heard a single person, one single person in the entire history of them being in, in these positions of coming forward and saying what these people are doing are wrong and we have to stop it. How about not once? All right? So that's how much control they have over everyone. So now four separate congressional hearings occur and none of these people like Trump. They find him innocent on all four, including the Durham report. There was no collusion. Yet Adam Schiff continues to harp as if there was. Why is he? It tells me a lot about not Adam Schiff. My God, that guy couldn't tell the truth if he, if he had to. It tells me a lot about the people who vote for him and what their values are. This is why we're country divided, balkanized, tribal at this moment, and going to get a lot worse. And especially interesting for me is not the average person that has learned to survive with lies and not believe politicians, not believe the press, because they're at least survivalist. They won't have a standard of living as they once were promised, had in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s, because they were sold out. Democrat and Republican alike sold them out. Ronald Reagan, Clinton, Obama, Bush, all sold them out. Viscerated the unions. But who's this going to impact? And this will be a little karmic justice coming back to these people. Or the Upper West Side elite, and that's everyone on the Upper West Side. I've lived on the Upper West Side, so I know these people. I've lived in the building with these people. My God, these people have, well, they have no blood. It's ice water. These are all not just amoral people, but they believe the world is about them and their emotions and what they feel. They don't need any proof beyond that. Well, now their neighborhoods are going to be targeted. They're going to find themselves not safe unless they have an escort to a car. They're not going to take public transportation. They're not going to go and send a park or a side park. They're not even going to go shopping where they used to unless it's a private car taking you and going into a store because they know the consequences today because they chose to condemn the police and make crimes that historically have been crimes and kept some semblance of order within a giving environment. And all those are gone now. The guys that, uh, that whole gang of migrants who beat up on the cops, why did the cops stop them? Because there were all these small businesses they had been beating up and robbing that whole morning. So one of the guys is let out of jail, no bail. Now he's caught again, a couple days later, robbing Macy's. And so a church, this sanctuary church, wants to put up 
and get him out again. We're living in a dystopian nightmare, and it's only going to get worse because we've trusted the wrong people, because we don't use our intuition, because we don't, we don't look at the real world. You look at the world based upon your needs that day. And if your needs come first, then the rest of the world doesn't. So your sense of, of getting out of your cult-like ideological frame of mind and looking to see, if I, if I respect women's rights, why did I just buy my wife a dress made in Bangladesh? Did I care? Did I look at the label? Or did I care about the low price I got and not care about who had to be enslaved? I'm looking at my cell phone. Do I care about the cobalt that has to be mined by tens of thousands of young uh, children, many of them dying in the mines in Africa, the Congo, to get that out? No. no the, the, we have become one of the most selfish, self-absorbed, narcissistic, entitled groups of people in world history. Not everyone. Not everyone. Not even the majority, but about half the people. And unfortunately, those half of the people that are not this way have been silent. They have not motivated themselves. So that's why I say I really respect those of you out there who are taking the articles off these sites. Go to, go, go to Chris Hedges' site and uh, go to Global Research site. Uh, go to Jimmy Dore's site. Take down the video clips. Take down the articles. And because these people tend to do good research. We do very good research. We're known for our scholarly research. If, if you only knew how many people around the world use our research, you'd be amazed. Uh, in fact, if Sharon's there, ask Sharon to come in the studio. Bring a letter that uh, I was recently sent. All right, I wanted to read the letter. This will tell you a little bit about how many people are out there listening. Share the information, because that allows other people to see that there's another point of view other than the people on MSNBC or, or CNN. And our information is original, authentic research. We're not using other people and then agreeing with it. We're doing our own homework. So understand now it's about the right information provided to people so they can make better choices. All right? So what's happening now is all this dirt that they thought they had on Clinton or had on uh, Trump, none of it was accurate. Dislike him and don't vote for him for all the reasons you could legitimately find. There are plenty of those. Just like Boris Johnson. If I held Boris Johnson up and how they had, had five kids with five women all the same time he was married, that man has no character. A person has no character. They're willing to lie about anything. They're willing to do anything. He's just a slime bag, in my opinion. And yet, Typical of Great Britain, the country that has enslaved so many people and has not redeemed itself and has had this monarchy. I'm totally opposed to the monarchy. Those are a bunch of clowns, idiots. But be that as it may, he should never, if the people really did their homework, did any homework, they would know, don't vote for this man. And he's the one who has allowed the war to continue when it could have been peace and settlement. One person. Now, Will he ever be honest about who from Washington was the head of the CIA, was the president? Who was it who said, sabotage this treaty? At the very beginning of the war. Have you heard a word about this anywhere in the media? No. Have you heard that this whole dossier, that they raided Trump's Mar-a-Lago, why? They wanted to get that dossier, destroy it. Evidently, they didn't. So now we know the previous administration, this controlled this administration, wanted to see that Trump didn't get elected. That's election interference. That's a federal crime. Will anything happen to any of the people? No. Because they control the Justice Department. You've seen the two, two forms of justice, right? Surely you have. So this is a big story, and it's just going to keep unfolding. And the more it unfolds, you're going to think, wow, how did they get away with this? Because they controlled the narrative, they controlled the media, they controlled the governmental agencies, they controlled all of the oversight groups. So they got away with it. So I just want to let you know that's happening right now again. Just want to share that with you. Greg from New Jersey. Hi, Greg. Your turn. Well, good afternoon. In 2008, the Democratic Party, which I was a proud member at one point, had the White House, the Senate, and a supermajority in the House of Representatives. And what did they accomplish? Zilch for the working class, with zilch for like people, you know, the military industrial complex and Wall Street, 
uh, they were basically doing their bidding. This hasn't the the, the world of the of St. Franklin Roosevelt, if you will, and the New Deal, essentially is so petered out. I was a member, a party, a local party person, if you will, you know, helping out with stuff 20, 30 years ago. They wouldn't have construction workers and like nurses at their meetings now. It's all lawyers, it's Wall Street people. It's astounding the way it's been co-opted, and hence the result. Right now, the whole situation in the Middle East, is there anybody in the Democratic Party really fighting to, to get to change things over there to maybe put Netanyahu on trial? This thing is so No, and down. there won't be. I would say, and I would say to the, the people who want to get involved, go to your local town council meeting, go to your local school board meeting, get involved at the local level where you could actually make a little difference. Or if you're if you really want to get someone's attention and maybe a different type of headline, why don't you take your four year old child, if you have a four or five year old child, to a school meeting and say, I'm I'm volunteering my child to be sexually groomed by your curriculum. Am I in the right place? And let him deny it. Oh God. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Let let them say no. We don't have any of that pornography in our. Well, let me show you the books that you do have for your children. No, we've got to stand up. The silent majority has to find its voice. And by the way, if uh, anyone uh, called in, it was uh, it was Secretary of State James Baker uh, who said, and and I want to thank Mitchell Rabin, uh, who said we will not move one inch. Uh, towards the East, meaning NATO, wouldn't grow. And they lied. And it was under Ronald Reagan that they invaded Granada. Remember tiny little Granada? It was mainly known for its college, medical school. There was nothing there. And yet they lied and they were never held accountable for all the destruction and deaths that they occurred. Gary, I was in Europe working in the late 90s and in Vienna or in Berlin. All I heard at night in cafes were businessmen from the East saying, oh, it was a great going out of business sale with the Soviet Union. That day they had bribed some officials and had bought another plant in Ukraine, in Russia, in Poland, and everything was being siphoned off. It was absolutely astounding what was happening. Thank you, Bill Clinton. Yeah, it was Bill Clinton, but also it was Anthony Summers. It was uh, uh, Summers, Secretary of Summers, yep. Larry yeah. Summers, president of, uh, misogynist president of uh, Harvard, and uh, later head of uh, Clinton's council, uh, economic council, of advisors. And everybody, but it, everybody it was worth what they did. What they did in Great Britain, what they did in Russia, because I, I know a lot of Russians. In fact, I have some uh, immigrants, medical doctors, and others who've worked in my office. Um, they, the state was no longer able to subsidize anyone. No longer free food, free rent, free medical, free education. Instead, people had worked in factories, but not in an efficient way. On the one hand, they would say, well, we have zero unemployment. Yeah, because you've got 12 people doing one person's job. That means one person's working, 11 are sitting around watching, much like our road crews here in the United States. In any case, they, they could sell the stock that they owned, the shares in the company, and people would come in and buy up whole factories and then bring in outsiders from other countries and run the companies efficiently. And all those people would work there, got next to nothing. And that's how these people became oligarchs. And that's how foreign influences made a, made a, a big dent there. And the people who suffered, suffered even more. By the way, I have something on uh, what George Soros is doing, and we'll finish with this. Uh, the report this today is that Soros is in the process of buying up, if this is accurate, uh, buying up radio stations. One of, the, one of the largest syndicators of radio stations in the country, hundreds of radio stations, including all the major markets. And they believe that this is being done so that he can influence with all the editorials and all, the, all that can happen at that level, uh, the upcoming election. We'll go more into this on an upcoming program. And we will be having some of the world's leading experts on all the topics I'm 
saying that we're going to explore in depth, like artificial intelligence, transhumanism, uh, self-organizing nanoparticles. By the way, in yesterday, I counseled a medical doctor friend of mine for almost two hours because he and his wife both got the vaccine and both had devastating effects. And his heart fraction rate went from normal way down in the 20s. That year in the 20s, heart fraction, heart's not able to pump, you die. And so fortunately, he realizes how, and he gets, kept saying to me, Gary, I feel so stupid, I'm so stupid. I said, no, you're not stupid. You're a highly intelligent person. It's just that you believe the wrong people. And now you know. And sometimes that's a painful karmic lesson to learn. Who do you believe? So anyhow, he's now on a good protocol, and hopefully over the next three or four months, we can help clean up his body. Thank you for your call. Thank you all for listening. And uh, thank the person out there. I think the person's name is Sophia for giving me uh, at a recent farmer's market, this person handed me this, peaceful protest uh, coming up March 1st, 3.30, and it's about what is chemtrails, talking about this. Again, this is citizen activist, and I commend all of you citizen activists for doing your part. Have a nice day, everyone.